Hello, Car Fanatics in Irvine, Orange County, California, the United States, Le Mans, France, and around the world. It's time for the most famous words in motorsport. Here to give the command to start the show is my co-host today, Matt McMurray. Drivers, start your engines. This week on Speedway Sounds, the Le Mans Special. Every year there is one motor race that serves as the ultimate test of race car and race car driver. For 24 hours, 60 teams of three drivers take their cars around the Circuit de la Sarthe in Le Mans, France, with speeds of 210 miles per hour through pure darkness of night down the Mulsanne straightaway and the intense left-right-left-right of the Porsche curves. This track, just under 8.5 miles in length, is the benchmark for high performance and reliability of every car. From the manufacturer-backed prototype cars of Porsche and Toyota, to the privateer Oricas, Ligiers, Rileys, and Dallaras, to iconic grand touring cars of Corvettes, Fords, Ferraris, Aston Martins, this is the greatest sports car race in the world. This is the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Noah Stein. I'm Matt McMurray. And it's the Tuesday, June 13th edition of Speedway Sounds. Regular listeners to the show know the man sitting right across the table from me here in the KUCI studio needs no introduction. Matt McMurray is an aerospace engineering student just finishing his first year here at the University of California, Irvine. But on some weekends, he grabs his fire suit out of the closet, grabs his helmet off of his nightstand, and flies halfway around the world to compete in Europe's biggest sports car races, driving the Algarve Pro Ligier in the European Le Mans Series. Thanks to the team's championship-winning effort in the Asian Le Mans Series over the winter, Algarve Pro secured an automatic entry to the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And earlier this year, Algarve announced that Matt would be returning to Le Mans for the second time in his career. And as you've already heard, he's my co-host today. So start us off, Matt, how excited are you for this race? I'm so excited, especially after just getting back from the official test day and being reminded of how cool of a track Le Mans is, especially in the new for 2017 prototypes. It's going to be really awesome. So the race is only a few days away. So what did you learn in that test session? Well, in the test day, we did a lot of things. A lot of it was uh, getting all of the drivers up to speed uh, because in a lot of the P2 teams, you, you, you don't, it's not all pro drivers. So a big part of it is getting your gentleman driver or like, who's like your bronze rated driver getting them up to speed is really important and then also just learning about the car and the the aero kits that you have specifically for Le Mans like an Indy car when they go to ovals they have different body work that they put on for better top speed and whatever um, you have the same thing with prototypes at Le Mans you run different uh, different body work than you normally would uh, a, at a sprint race uh, just to make sure that or to, to give yourself the best top speed that you can. And so what we learned in the Liget is that we do not have the top speed that we need. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that, that's been like a theme all year in the European Le Mans series, the ELMS. Real quickly, you have 
uh, the LMP2 class this year for the 24 Hours of Le Mans, the European Le Mans Series, and the World Endurance Championship is run under a new set of regulations, right? Yeah, they released new regulations for 2017. And before the way it worked was, I guess, just how it has always worked is uh, any manufacturer can make a car and any engine supplier can make an engine and you can just go and buy whatever you want. But this year, there's only four allowed manufacturers, like chassis manufacturers, and everyone has to run the same engine. So the, the four manufacturers are Lige, Orica, Delara, and Riley. And Oricas are by far the most common, then probably followed by Lige's, and then Delara's, and Riley's. Um, the Lige has been slower in a straight line all year pretty much and so that's been a struggle for us because on all we're, we're running a liege um so especially at like monza which is a track that has a bunch of really big straightaways it really hurts to not have the same top speed as the oricas and delaras and at le mans with all the new aero kits the top speeds are changing even more and so the delaras are like going doing ridiculous top speeds on the back straightaway like they're approaching lmp1 speeds and then after that is the oricas they're doing like 330-ish kilometers an hour and then the liges are doing like 320 wow and then i'm not sure how the rileys are but I mean, we have a 20 kilometer an hour gap to pick up and the for the conversion there 320 kilometers is around 200 miles per hour down mulsan yeah yeah 320 is just about 200 and I think 340 is like 210 to 11. So not only are you competing against some of the some of your familiar teams in European Le Mans, with this being a World Endurance Championship round, you're competing against the the big boys in a, in, a, in a way. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of really 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 good teams that come to Le Mans from the WEC, and there's already a bunch of good teams in the European Le Mans series. So it. it there's just even more competition at Le Mans. So yeah, first time with a four chassis, first time with a single engine, that's the Gibson engine. So what was the what was that first trip like getting a taste of Le Mans after you haven't been there for it's been three years since you've been there. Yeah. What is it like getting a taste of it and then <laughs> go, getting to go back in a few days and actually do the real thing? I'm excited for it. It was I mean, I was expect as excited as you would expect, but then it's just really cool once you're actually out there. Just because it's hard to remember everything. Then when you go back out and it's like, oh, yeah, (laughs) this is really cool. It's, like, even more fun than I remembered it. And it's even better in the new cars because they have more downforce. They have more horsepower than the the old LMP2s. Um, I'm also really excited to drive at night again. That's always really fun, especially at Le Mans because it, like, actually gets dark there. Mm-hmm. Whereas at, like, Daytona or something, it, there's so many lights because it's a NASCAR yeah. track. It might as well be day, but Le Mans is dark, and it's really cool. In order to take that trip to the test day, just as you have been with your trip to Italy for the ELMS round there and Silverstone, you've been taking off days off school. And this time around, you're actually missing a pretty important part of your school time yeah, here at UC Irvine. Yeah, I'm missing a couple days, and on those couple days, or five days, actually, all of my finals are on those days. Um, so that's not fun, because I had to take one of my finals for my physics class the Tuesday before finals week, 
which is like the June 5th or 6th or something. So that that's not fun because I had to I had to teach myself pretty much the last two weeks of physics before everyone else had to, and I had to take the test early, and I don't know, that was difficult. I think I did pretty well, but it was difficult. One of my classes is fine because there's not a final, and then another one I uh, have to do what's called an incomplete, where you, you know you basically just didn't finish the class, and then I'll just have to like finish by taking the final next quarter in the fall. In a way that seems like such a blessing, but in a way that can be such a curse. What yeah, do you think? It, everyone initially is like, "Oh, cool," or well, a lot of people at least are like, "Oh, wow, you get to miss so much school. That must be pretty cool." And like, no, no, it's not. It's so much more work when you have to miss everything. Because yeah, if you're taking the final again in the fall, right? If the fall quarter, yeah, that I'll, means I'll you're waiting till December. Probably. You're waiting till December to take a final that you studied, <laughs> been studying for since March. Yeah, so I'll have to refresh everything that I learned this quarter in math. Sometime next quarter, while also studying for all my other classes, I'll have that quarter. I wanted to go back to the beginning of your driving career. What inspired you to take on this journey and <laughs> and go to Lamar? Uh, well, my dad had been there twice before in 2003 and 2008. And I went with him in 2008. Like Our whole family went there. So that was really cool, getting to see all that. Um, you can see how big of a show it is, you know, like the the parade that they have the day before the race, which is nuts. Like, you should go find a video of it because it's crazy. Like, there's, I would guess there's at least 50,000 people there. there. There might be way more. Um, like, m- more people are at that parade for all the drivers than are at a lot of races in yeah. the United States. Um I think mean, that was true of like the test day. There were more people at the test day than probably at the 24 hours of Daytona this wow. year. But anyways, I so I I saw all that in 2008 when I, uh, my dad raced there, and then in the, a seventh grade school project is like one of the projects that they do at the beginning of the year, where they're like getting to know you and whatever. Uh, they had like a bunch of questions that were like kind of silly questions and then one of them was like pick something you want to do before you graduate from high school or something like that oh wow and I was like I want to be the youngest person to go to Lamont and that was like not serious at all but then we like it was like that'd be pretty crazy if we did that that'd had, be really had cool. you started then, your driving career at that point I yeah I'd been I'd been go-karting since I was like four so I had been driving not like super seriously really before that after that project we decided to go for it wow and so from seventh grade to what was it 10th for you 10th or 11th so it was the summer between sophomore and junior year yeah in high school and so you accomplished it you achieved the world record uh, becoming the youngest driver ever to start lamont and finish and finish yeah Yeah. (laughs) which is hard with your team of three 24 hours and you know, it's a, it's a rough track. There's it, a lot of it's public roads, so it's bumpy and the curbs are big and not nice to the cars. So it's a it's an accom- an accomplishment in itself just to finish. I mean, surely. And whenever I tell people what the magnitude of, of finishing Le Mans is like, I look back at last year's race with Toyota. They were leading <laughs> the race with five minutes left well, when there's like the last lap right yeah like they, they, they were, were coming to the white flag exactly <laughs> yeah 
the Toyota was was coming around the the Ford chicanes. The 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 driver, I think it was was it Kazuki Nakajima. He was going down the Mulsanne straightaway, and he reported over the radio, and it appeared on all the television broadcast. <laughs> no power, no power. And after that, so the, the Toyota was leading after 23 hours and 55 minutes, and crossing the start finish line. <laughs> The car died <laughs> right in front of everybody in the grandstand, right in front of everybody in the pit lane. And the that car the car didn't restart for several minutes. And because it didn't finish the lap under the uh, under the maximum amount of time, it was not classified. It didn't get credit for finishing the race. It got no points after leading the race. That's the story I tell to people. I didn't you know, know as, they didn't, as to get, how the, didn't, didn't get points. I just knew. That they, yeah, the they, whole thing. Because they, like, they, had, they hadn't won Le Mans yeah, right. They haven't. Toyota's not won Le Mans for um, a long time. Yeah, after a long time competing, yeah. and so reading into that real quickly, there's actually a rule change for this year on Wikipedia. It says uh, since after Toyota's after Toyota was excluded last year, they said that um, this time they'll only exclude you from the results if you finish the last lap over 15 minutes. When last, when previously it was six minutes. And so now uh-huh. after six minutes, they'll just penalize you in laps, so you'll still get credit for finishing the race. Oh, okay. And maybe you could still, if you had like a five lap lead, you probably could still win. <laughs> if you had a five lap lead, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, with in these days, the, yeah. this this day and age, and the competition level and everything. So let's go into talking about the racetrack itself, the Circuit de la Sarthe. It's the 85th running of the 24 Hours of Le Mans this year, but the track's been generally the same for the last for the last several decades. So help yeah, us go through I, it. Yeah, I think the. The biggest change in, I guess, kind of recent years is that they added the chicanes and the uh, the Molson straightaway, which is a, a public highway um, that just goes through the town of Lamar. Um, and I think the straightaway used to be like six kilometers, but now it's three two-kilometer straightaways that are just separated by two chicanes. Um, they also repaved the first section of the track. I, there's like two tracks really in the mall there's the bugatti circuit which is like a permanent uh road track and then there's a bunch of other stuff uh, basically from uh let's see um turn five to i think the porsche curves is all public road Mm -hmm. and so they recently repaved the bugatti circuit so the first section of the track is like fresh pavement mm-hmm. um and it was actually like you you would expect it to be like really grippy because it's new but it was actually kind of greasy at the test day i don't think anyone had run on it yet because okay, yeah. there's only like two races that happen at Le Mans every year so let's go but, through the first let's see we have the, just go, have the you dunlop go through everything yeah so the first turn uh is the, the dunlop chicane um or i guess it it's starts with a, a long bend that goes into the Dunlop chicane and the tricky part in that this corner is uh, getting the braking right because you're turning in a in a high speed like a downforce turn and then you have to get straightened right before you brake uh, because you like you're, you're turning so much that if you try to brake while you're turning you'll spin out for sure and mm-hmm. people do that a lot um, so it's really easy to lock up brakes there and then there's the, the chicane uh, and then a downhill uh, sweeping turn that it's flattened a P2. Then um, there's a fast left. Uh, I, does it have a name? I'm not sure. I just call it turn five. So then th- there's this 
uh, third gear turn. Uh, there's a, got a lot of banking in it. And then you go up over a hill and to the right down to Tete Rouge, mm-hmm. which is a fast, a very fast turn. It's, uh, I believe it's fourth or fifth gear in P2s this year. And it's just a, a light break and you turn in and then basically right back to throttle. And then you're going back down the first section of the Molson Strait, um, which is the first uh, part of public road, really. And it's uh, because it's a public road, there's a big crown in it. And for a lot of people, when the first time they drive uh, down that straight, you have to cross over the crown. And it's weird. It, it like As you're going over it, it pulls you to that side mm-hmm. pretty, pretty aggressively, especially if you weren't prepared for it so it's kind of uh, scary like the first tracks which are completely flat yeah and balanced and things yeah like that. um so the first time you go over that that's kind of weird then there's the the first chicane which is a uh, right left right um and it's it's not like a lot of chicanes on street tracks or on rovals or something like that where they're like really tight and slow it's actually like a fast turn you you break it's a it's a hard break but you trail the brake through the whole first right-hand turn so it's actually pretty fast you don't you're it's like a third gear turn and then you shift down to second for the left and then the the right which is the left you have to keep slowing down for the right is just flat mm-hmm. um then the next one is basically the same but the opposite or mirrored it's a left right left and then you have Molson corner two kilometers later uh it's another uh, kind of interesting break zone because it's it's not just a straight break and then you turn in the the road kinks right before like right when you need to start braking so you turn in quickly and then break mm-hmm. uh, you break 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 most on corners really slow uh, it's also really bumpy on the exit so it's really hard to put the power down um, then there's the back straightaway which is also really bumpy uh, and there's two kinks in that they're flat and quite, and quite uh, narrow too sorry quite narrow too the grass yeah, it is. on either side there's narrow it's narrow bumpy there's grass and walls on either side um and then you have one of the cooler turns in the track uh, indianapolis which is a very fast right hand turn i think it's six six gear fifth or sixth gear this year in p2 um you could almost do it without braking and like qualifying probably uh but for the most of the race you'll probably break a little maybe downshift and then there's indy which is a a slower turn but it's got a really big banking and that goes into arnage which is the slipperiest turn on the track it's very low grip you can't attack the brakes at all and the exit is also bumpy like molson corner so it's it's difficult to get a good exit then you go down a little straightaway to the Porsche curves, which is like the coolest part of the track. It's a right, left, left, right, left, like high speed, fifth gear, fourth, fifth, sixth gear set of turns. Um, the right is like a, a slight break down to fifth gear, and then you turn in, and you right now, right now our car is kind of understeering a bit, so you just turn in, and you're kind of waiting for the car to, the, the front of the car to grip up, and like start really turning and then you're full throttle through both the next lefts um which uh are also like the back straightaway are very narrow there's like 
There's no, I don't think there's any runoff room <laughs> for those two lefts. Um, then you have a long right-hander uh, that you might have to shift down to fourth for, and then a left that's, uh, I think, the slowest part of that whole section, and it's also very off-camber, uh, which makes it tricky. Then you have the two Ford chicanes, which are at the end of the track. The first one is uh, like a, a third-gear chicane, so it's pretty quick. And then the next one is a very slow first gear sh chicane that leads back onto the front straightaway. As an LMP2 driver, you're going to have to deal with the faster class ahead of you, the prototype ones, the factory-backed prototypes that have the top speeds of 210, 220 maybe. Uh, and But you also have to deal with the slower cars, the GTE, uh, Grand Touring Endurance cars, the Pro and the AM class are running about the same speed. What is it like dealing with lap traffic around Le Mans compared to other circuits? Is it easier, perhaps, because of the long straightaways? Yeah, I think it's probably easier because there are so many places where you have a long straightaway and then a heavy braking zone, which is, like, ideal for passing slower traffic. Um, whereas in, like, a place like maybe Watkins Glen or... Um, maybe like Road Atlanta, where there's lots of fast turns and not a lot of big braking zones, it's more difficult because you kind of have to dive bomb them because you don't have a, a long straightaway to just run by them and you don't have big braking zones where you can outbreak them because the P2s and P1s can generally outbreak the slower cars. Um, but here it's it's a little bit easier unless you get stuck behind them and like the Porsche curves and usually you're stuck behind them, like, through the whole portrait curves. Like, you can pass in the last right, but it's not super easy. Looking at the entry list for this year's race, your class actually is, is a lot bigger than it usually is. It's at 25 entries combined between World Endurance Championship cars and European Le Mans Series cars and uh, and one Asian Le Mans Series car as well. And uh, there's a car... I guess I don't know if they actually run anywhere else, but it's a an American team. Um, oh, look, uh, with Keating? Ricky Taylor, yeah, yeah Keating. Keating Motorsports. It's a, the only Riley that's racing this year. Um, they didn't do very well during the test, but oh, we kind of already touched on it with the with the Matt, uh, with the WEC cars joining you guys. How difficult is it to find an advantage amongst your competitors? It's difficult. Uh, there's a lot of really, really good teams and a lot of really, really good drivers. It'll be really good if Liget can get a new set of bodywork homologated by the ACO before we can before Le Mans, which basically just means like they they have a new like nose and everything designed and built that we could use, but we're not allowed to use it because at the beginning of the year, the ACO, which is like the governing body for all of these, is uh, they, like, you know, they, they get all of the cars from all the manufacturers and they're like, okay, this is what you have to use. And you you can't chain, make any modifications to the car because they don't want it to turn into like LMP1 where you're going out and testing and like developing new parts for the car because that makes it a lot more expensive and they're trying to like cap costs. Uh, so what they have to do is get Lige has to get Orica and Delara and Riley to agree to letting us use a faster nose, which I would imagine is a hard argument to make. Yeah. And so for the LMP1 class, 
that's always been the class that's that steals the headlines that all the cameras focus on this year they're missing one big part of that storyline <laughs> yeah. audi i am so sad i miss audi so much i remember sitting in class uh in on october 26th the day they made the announcement that they were withdrawing from wc i miss them terribly dr wolfgang ulrich please come back uh and and but for now germany represented by the porsche team the, the volkswagen group represented by porsche and their main rivals, of course, throughout the WEC, Toyota Racing. They have their best shot this year, I think. Toyota's done really well in both the World Endurance Championship rounds so far. And I think they've got the speed to beat Porsche. It's just the reliability. Yeah. Do they have the reliability we'll have to, to beat see Porsche? during the actual week of the race because they might, you know, they, they, they could have been sandbagging during the test day. I think that happens frequently <laughs> and at a lot of races. So we'll we'll have to see as the track gets better, because it's a because it's a public public road. It's always dusty and really low grip the first couple mm-hmm. of days, and you pretty much only get faster as the race goes on. So, and in GT Pro we've got the uh, we've got three Ferraris. They have Corsa running two of them, and the Uni- and the American team Risi Competizione running a third. And we got the two Corvettes as always. Uh, just like last year, Ford Chip Ganassi Racing running four cars, trying to defend their championship from last year, their win. Uh, two Porsches and two Aston Martins as well. I always love the GT Pro class, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen there if, if Ford can defend their win again. Uh, yeah. What do you think? Uh, yeah, GT Pro is usually one of the good races to watch. They're because they're always really competitive, uh, especially with like the big players like uh, like Corvette and Ford. They're always on the same lap and they're always near each other towards the end of the race. So that always makes it interesting. Um, I would be, uh, I would be excited to see more of a race than last year. Like Ford won pretty. Uh, had a pretty big win last year and it'd be cool to see more competition it helps that they have like four cars so it's like yeah. the attrition part the war of attrition part doesn't really apply to them because they have four cars but oh, that... it'd be cool to see a good battle yeah that reminds me of my favorite memory of Le Mans too is 2011 when Audi lost two of their three cars early on in crashes <laughs> yeah. or, or one early in, on and one through the night big giant crashes giant crashes you know the morale the morale was shattered within the team but they all rallied behind that one car and they were able to defeat the four Peugeots <laughs> yeah that's pretty crazy and then the final class of course is GTE AM the class with the drivers with the balance between professional and amateur drivers and also running cars that are one model year older than the brand new cars run in GTE Pro yeah it'll be a great race for sure quickly Tell us about your schedule for this coming week leading up to the race itself. So we get in on Monday, and there's scrutineering, which unlike at other races is like a parade. <laughs> you show up, and it's in uh, some some part of Lamont. It's like a big town square, and they have everything set up to, you know, like check your, your, um, your gear and to check the car, and they're just fans everywhere (laughs) like tens of thousands of fans that come to watch scrutineering which is usually like something that the crew guys just like take the car off to and take like 10 minutes and they come back but here it's like a giant event (laughs) then wednesday and thursday there's uh qualifying 
which also unlike at most races where qualifying is usually like 15 minutes it, there's like six hours of qualifying at Le Mans. Um, then on Friday, there's the driver's parade, which is a big, big event. It goes all, it's a parade where all the drivers get in, um, some vintage cars and just drive around slowly, like a, like a parade around the, uh, around the town. And there's tons and tons and tons of people that, and they're all going wild. <laughs> then, uh, there's the race on Saturday and, and then it finishes on Sunday. <laughs> Yep, I think it will. If it starts at the normal time, it always does. It uh, for us here in the western part of the United States, it starts at six in the morning on television and finishes six in the morning on Sunday morning. It's always great. I always love watching as many of the hours as I can. <laughs> um, sometimes I've had to like DVR the last five hours yeah. because the last five hours are sometimes really, really good and tense. And oh yeah, you have to. Yeah. that's the part you have to watch. And 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 so I'll DVR it, and when I wake up. I'll, I'll, I'll see it. But this time I think I'm just going to wake up at one in the morning and watch it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and try to try to watch the whole 24 hours, especially yeah. since I actually know somebody in it this year, which is <laughs> yeah. an incredible honor. And thank you so much for joining me here today on Speedway Sounds, Matt. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. Follow the show at Speedway Sounds, all one word, on both Facebook and Twitter for show previews and your opportunity to ask guests a question. You're welcome to use the hashtag Anteaters in Racing whenever talking about motorsport around UCI's campus. Coming up next is Beer Ambassadors with Mikhail Woodward here on KUCI. I'm Matt McMurray. And I'm Noah Stein. And thank you so much for listening. Always wear a helmet, never drive distracted or under the influence, and please always wear your seatbelt. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Good luck at Lamar, Matt. Thank you.